0: Daniel Gilbert is a Harvard professor of psychology who recently said, Americans are smiling less and worrying more than they did a year ago. Happiness is down, sadness is up. Americans are sleeping less, smoking more cigarettes, and more depressed than they've ever been over the last five years. The problem in this country, Gilbert claims, Is not financial. The problem in this country is that people don't know what's going to happen next. People worry and wonder, am I going to lose my job next week? What liberties are going to be taken away? What awaits me around the bend? He says that whenever there is uncertainty in the future, it suspends us in an unhappy present. I must be honest with you, I don't know anything about the spiritual condition of Dr. Gilbert. I don't know. He may be one of the biggest pagans on the planet for all I know. But what I am aware of is this, that he has an acute acknowledgement of the mental makeup of many Americans. We worry a lot because we've got a lot to worry about. Four year old boy worries about the boogeyman in the closet. The 13 year old girl worries about being accepted by her peers. The 17 year old boy worries about the upcoming football season because he wants to do so well to land the coveted Division I scholarship. The young professional worries that her presentation to upper management just failed. Parents worry about the decisions of their children. The middle-aged man worries that he's never going to reach retirement. The wife worries that her husband just might be cheating on her. The elderly man worries about the results of the biopsy. The widow worries that the beast of inflation will devour her savings. The pastor worries that his house is never going to sell. We worry a lot (laughs) because we've got a lot to worry about. Uncertainty cripples contentment. And so this morning, fortunate for us that Jesus has a word about worry. Today we continue our sermon series called The Good Life, whereby we examine the Sermon on the Mount. And today we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. It is to that passage I invite you to give your attention this morning, and please, once you've found your place in sacred scripture, stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's most holy, precious word. Matthew chapter 6, we'll begin at verse 25, we'll read through verse 34. Please hear the words of Christ. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Why do you worry about clothing? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown to the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. You may be seated. Jesus had just finished his teaching on giving, praying, and fasting. He comes to our passage with a command, therefore, do not worry about your life. That command of do not worry is given three times in our brief passage. We find it in verse 25, in verse 31, and in verse 34. On three occasions, Jesus says, do not worry. All three occasions, Jesus uses the very same word. The Greek word that's rendered worry literally means do not be anxious. Do not have undue concern or stress. Every word paints a picture. The word Jesus uses uh, paints the picture of either being tied up in knots or being ripped apart at the seam like a garment. Even in our day, those ideas are still with us for who among us has not ever said, I feel as if there's a knot in the pit of my stomach? Or We say of a person who just had a meltdown, she had a come apart. And What that means is that because of worry, because of stress, because of frustration, because of anger, we are bound up inside, twisted into a knot, and sometimes it pushes us to the brink where we feel as if we're being ripped apart at the seams. This is exactly what Jesus had in mind when he said to dear sweet Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Only one thing is needed. You may remember the story. Jesus and the boys had come to the home of Mary and Martha to enjoy a meal. And Martha was distracted with all the preparation that had to be made. She was bound in knots. She was tied up. After all, Jesus and the disciples were there for dinner. And she looked out and saw that her sweet, lovely sister Mary was sitting on her derriere right there at the feet of Jesus. And she was about to give Mary and Jesus a piece of her own mind. And Jesus says to her, Martha, dear sweet Martha, you are worried and upset. You are tied in knots. You're about to have a come apart. You're about to be ripped apart at the seam of your mind. On three occasions in our passage, Jesus says, do not worry. Do not worry about your life. The word life encompasses life in its totality. It's life in in the physical sense, in the mental sense, in the emotional sense, it is all of life, total life. Jesus says, Do not worry about your life. Don't worry about the things of this world. He goes on to clarify life. He says, Don't worry about what you're gonna eat or drink, for is not life more than food? Don't worry about your clothes, for is not the body more than clothing? So do not worry. At least one person has defined worry in this way, that worry is a stream of fear that trickles through the mind, cutting a channel so wide that all other thoughts are drowned out. That's worry. Worry is a stream of fear that trickles your mind it cuts a channel so wide that all other thoughts are drowned out so that you are consumed by the worry you are bound up tied up in knots by the worry and it's that worry that if it is fully fledged out will rip you apart at the seams that my friends is worry and Jesus says do not worry why was Jesus saying this I think the bottom line of the passage is simply this, that Jesus is telling anyone who will listen, the God who crafted you, he can care for you. The God who made you, he can maintain you. The God who saved you, he can sustain you. Jesus says, don't you believe that the God who fashioned you, he can furnish you with all that you need. So do not worry because God cares for you. For the God who crafted you is the God who cares for you. If you need further proof that Jesus really knows what he's talking about, Jesus says, just look at the animal kingdom. He says in verse 26, consider the birds of the air. They do not... Sow or reap. They don't store away in barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are not you more valuable than they? I think that Jesus says this with a smirk across his holy face. I think that the savior commanded a flock of birds to fly across the sky in this very moment. He lifted everyone's attention up into the heavens and he said, consider the birds of the air. Those birds don't have a time clock that they punch. They don't have a sophisticated system of sowing and reaping. and Yet the heavenly father guides them to food and water. Jesus must have said with a smile across his face, I've never seen a bird build a barn to house his grain. Yet he doesn't go hungry. Now I must confess to you, I am not a bird watcher. I don't know much about birds. But I have read that people are enamored with birds. They're they're amazed at the work ethic of birds. It's not that Jesus is saying that birds are lazy creatures. Oh no, they work diligently, they work tirelessly. But Jesus says they don't worry. I'm not a bird watcher, but over the last 15 years, I have gone to a lot of hospitals. And I can tell you this much just by mere observation. I have never seen a bird in the ER. I've never seen a bird have to go through surgery because of a heart attack. I've never known of a bird who had a stroke because of stress. I've never never known a bird that signed up for a discipleship class about how to handle life's pressure. But I sure have known a lot of people like that. Jesus says, listen, God cares for the birds. It's unmistakable God cares for the birds. I mean, in the winter, they migrate to the south. Who told them to do that? God. And then when the weather warms up, it's God who put an internal GPS navigation system into their little hearts and bellies, and they get back to the very same neighborhood year after year after year. Who does that? God does that. God cares for the birds. But God cares so much more you by implication you know that Jesus did not come to seek and to save the birds but Jesus did come to seek and to save you Jesus did not come to die on the cross for lost birds but he did come to die on the cross for lost humanity and the birds are not made in the image of God yet you had the Imago Day stamped all over you. You are made in the image of God. You are valuable in his sight. Sure, God cares for the birds, but he cares so much more for you. Oh, my friend, when worry uh, binds you up in knots, when worry wants to tear you apart at the seams, all you have to do is go outside and look up and look at the birds. And when I do that, I ask myself, why am I so discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart feel heavy and long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion? A constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know that he watches me. If his eye is on the sparrow, then I know he watches me. So I sing because I'm happy, and I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on that sparrow, and I know that he watches me. Why? Because the God who crafted me cares for me. The God. God who made you, maintains you. The God who saved you, can't sustain you. Oh, my friend, God cares for the birds, but he cares so much more for you. Amen. Jesus says, if that's not proof enough for you to look at the animal kingdom, then all you have to do is look at the human kingdom. In verse 27, Jesus says, and what does it profit you? To worry? For what man can add a single hour to his life from worry? Other translations say, what man can add a cubit to his height? Regardless of the translation, the implication is the same. What positive benefit can come out of your life by worrying? What is the profit for you to worry? It's not like you can add hours to your life. The truth of the matter is, if you worry, you probably shave some hours off your life. It's not that you can add any inches to your life and and gain height and prominence. What, What profit you if you worry about the things of this world? I've never known anyone who was able to worry themselves to life but I've known many a person who worried themselves to death. I think that there are far too many doctor's offices, operating tables, hospital rooms, and even graveyards that are filled with people who now know the devastating effect of worry. It was Dr. Charles Mayo of the infamous Mayo Clinic Who wrote years ago that worry affects the circulatory system? It negatively affects the heart and the glands. It affects the entire nervous system. The good doctor said, I have never known any man to die from too much work, but I've known many a man to die from too much worry. Jesus says, Whenever worry wants to bind you in knots, whenever worry wants to rip you apart at the seams, all you have to do is go outside and look at the animal kingdom or stay inside and look at the human kingdom because what profit you if you worry? What is the positive benefit that comes from you agonizing and stressing over worries of this world? The implied answer is there is no benefit. So Jesus says, do not worry. He says, if it's still not enough for you to look at the animal kingdom and the human kingdom, then just look at the plant kingdom. In verse 28, Jesus said, "And why do you worry about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field. Are they not dressed in greater splendor than all of Solomon? And if this is how God treats the the flowers, the lilies, the grass, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire... Then how much more will he care for you, O oh, you of little faith? When I stop and read that, I, I realize that a flower is, a flower is stationary. A, a bird can, can move from here to there. It can fly to water. It can migrate, but, uh, but a, a flower can't move. It's planted. It's stationary. It does nothing to add to its existence. It does nothing to, to clothe itself. It contributes absolutely nothing to its beautiful array. And yet Jesus says that not even Solomon, one of the richest fat cats of all of human history, not even Solomon was dressed like one of these. And if God cares for the flowers, if God cares for the grass, which is here today and gone tomorrow, then how much more will he care for you? The flowers are not involved in the textile industry. They don't toil. They don't labor. They don't walk runways, and yet they're dressed in fashion. These flowers, they don't stress out about what to wear on the first day of school. But I know a lot of students think about, what am I going to wear? Not just students but even adults. Jesus says, if if that's how God cares for the lilies, then certainly he will care for you. It's the Apostle Paul who says, our God will supply all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God may not supply all of our greeds, but he will supply all of our needs. We may not dress in the clothing of Saks Fifth Avenue, but we may have some clothes from Target or, as my cousin says, in a very sophisticated fashion, Target. But regardless, God will provide all of our needs. All we have to do is look at the animal kingdom, look at the human kingdom, look at the plant kingdom. It becomes abundantly clear that the God who crafted you cares for you. That the God who made you maintains you, that the God who saved you sustains you. It is God who is Jehovah Jireh. That word Jehovah Jireh literally means the God who provides. It is Abraham who gives us that term. Abraham learns this in Genesis 22 on top of Mount Moriah when he's there to sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac, and God provides a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. And the ram is sacrificed in place of Isaac. And there on that mountain, God provided. And Abraham said, Jehovah Jireh. I want to tell you that in your life, it is not Job Jireh. It's Jehovah Jireh. In your life it is not money-Jireh. It's Jehovah-Jireh. In your life it is not self-Jireh. It's Jehovah-Jireh for it is not your job. It's not your money. It's not yourself that provides your needs. It is Jehovah God who provides all that you need. He is the one who provides air in your lungs. He is the one who provides food on your table. He is the one who provides clothing on your back. He is the one who provides a roof over your head. He is the one who provides a vehicle to drive. He is the one who provides family to love. He is the one who provides food. Friends to cherish, he is the one who provides salvation to enjoy. He is the one who provides forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future. Oh, my friends, I've got to get happy today, just because I realize I serve Jehovah Jireh. And Jesus connects worry with a lack of faith. Did you hear that? Do not worry. Oh, you of little faith. One of the best definitions of faith I've ever come across is by a man named Haddon Robinson, who said, Faith is taking God at his word. That's faith. If God says it, you can believe it. We've talked before about faith, that faith is trusting Christ regardless of the outcome. You may not know what tomorrow brings you may not know how it's going to turn out you may not know about the trouble or the trial the problem or the possibility you may not know what's around the bend but you know you can trust Christ because you trust him regardless of the outcome my friend that is faith so jesus says that when you take God at his word that worry is not going to bind you worry is not going to rip you apart at the seams Jesus says, all you have to do is look at the animal kingdom, the human kingdom, the plant kingdom. And since we're talking about kingdoms, Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. It's almost as if Jesus says... If you're going to be consumed about anything, don't be consumed about the things of this world. You be consumed about Christ. You be consumed about the Lord. You be consumed about God's kingdom. Be consumed about the rule and reign of Christ in your life. We've said before that the buzzword for the Sermon on the Mount is righteousness. Jesus employs the term five times in three chapters. We come across the word righteousness in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, and here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. On five occasions, Jesus says the buzzword for this entire sermon is righteousness. And we've discussed before that righteousness is declared innocence in the sight of God. It is right living. And righteousness has been provided for us, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and righteousness is practiced by us in front of a watching God. So we receive righteousness and we display righteousness in our own life. It's not that we are working for our own salvation, but because we have been saved, there are some things that God's prepared in advance for us to do. And so he has provided righteousness so that literally when God looks upon the one who comes to him in faith, that God looks at us as if we have the righteous living of Christ upon our life. He has credited that righteousness as belonging to us as if you and I have lived the perfect life of Jesus. And Jesus says, if you're going to be consumed about anything, be consumed about that. Be consumed about the fact that though you were dead, God has made you alive in Christ. If you're going to be consumed about anything, be consumed about the fact that you were a sinful scoundrel and God has saved you by his marvelous might. If you're going to be consumed about anything, be consumed and blown away by the reality that God has reached out with a mighty hand and a a mighty arm and he has grabbed you, lifted you and set your feet upon a rock. You be consumed about the righteousness of God that's been provided. Provided for you in Christ. And then if you're gonna be consumed about anything else, be consumed about the practiced righteousness in your own life. How you become preoccupied about living the way God wants you to live. Can I just remind us what Jesus has taught us thus far in the Sermon on the Mount? I mean, Jesus says, if you're gonna be preoccupied about anything, be preoccupied about being a spiritual beggar before God. For you recall that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That Jesus says that it is the proper posture and position for you to come into the kingdom on bended knee. For we approach God on on our knees with our head downcast, our eyes closed, our arms outstretched, our palm open heavenward. And we're just begging for benevolence unto the Lord. And if we're going to be preoccupied about anything, let us be preoccupied about mourning and grieving over our sin. And if we're going to be preoccupied about anything, let us be preoccupied about living a meek life, which meekness is power under control. It's a life that's lived under complete surrender to a holy, sovereign God. If we're going to be preoccupied about anything, let us be preoccupied about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. If we're going to be preoccupied about anything, let us be preoccupied about mercy, for mercy from God motivates mercy from us. going to be preoccupied about anything let us be preoccupied about purity in every corner of our life if we're going to be preoccupied about anything let us be preoccupied about making peace in a very problematic world if we're going to be preoccupied about anything let us be preoccupied about rejoicing even when the world persecutes us if we're going to be preoccupied about anything let us be preoccupied about being salt and light in a very bland dark world if we're going to be preoccupied about anything let's be preoccupied about internalizing the external word of God in a applying it under our own life. If we're going to be preoccupied about anything, let's be preoccupied about acts of righteousness. Let us be generous. Let us be prayerful. Let us be fasting. If we're going to be preoccupied about anything, let us seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. So Jesus says, when worry binds you, in knots, when worry wants to rip you apart at the seam of your mind, all you have to do is think about the animal kingdom. God cares for the birds, but he cares more for you. All you have to do is is think about the human kingdom. What does it profit you, my friend, to worry about anything in this world? It doesn't add to your life. It probably shaves time off your life. And look at the plant kingdom. Plants can't move, they can't dress themselves, and yet God has given them all this splendor. And they're here today and gone tomorrow. If you're going to be consumed about anything, be consumed about His kingdom and His righteousness. So don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough trouble of its own. Don't import tomorrow's trouble into today. When Jesus says that, he he doesn't mean don't plan for tomorrow. He doesn't mean don't have a savings account. He doesn't mean don't plan for the future. He just means don't allow a stream of fear to trickle in your mind, cutting a channel that's so wide that all of the thoughts are drowned out. Don't worry about tomorrow. You and I have no idea what's gonna happen tomorrow. We don't know. But we do know the one who holds tomorrow in his hands. So because he lives, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. I tell you what, my friends, when fear, when worry, when stress begins to bind me in knots and rip me apart at the seams, all I have to do is realize that I serve a risen Savior and He's in the world today and I know that He is living whatever men may say. I see His hand of mercy and I hear His voice of cheer and just the time I need Him, He's always near. He lives, He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and He talks with me a long life's narrow way. He lives, He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. Do not fear. Do not be worried. Why? Because the God who crafted you, He can care for you. The God who made you, He can maintain you. The God who saved you, He can sustain you. So today, we rejoice in the King. We're preoccupied with Christ. We rejoice and we're consumed with the things of God, not the things of this world. So this morning, You may come into the house and you're weighted down with worry. I understand. You come into church today and you're fearful of the future. I get it. You come in and you try to worship, but so many thoughts, so many distractions So many concerns seem to dominate and dictate your mind and your disposition. My friend, I understand. But Jesus gives us a word today. Jesus says, don't worry. Don't allow that stream of fear to trickle in your mind, cutting a channel so wide that all of the thoughts are drowned out. Don't worry, but set your mind on things above. Don't worry, set your heart on things above. Don't worry, focus and meditate upon the very word of God. Don't worry, cast all your cares upon the Lord because he cares so much for you. Don't worry, because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Sometimes, my friends, you just have to preach to yourself. Sometimes you just have to remind yourself of the truth. Sometimes you have to kick the devil to the curb. You just got to bust him in the teeth. Sometimes you just have to say, now listen, this is who God is. This is what his word says. And I believe it. I take God at his word. This morning, do not let your hearts be troubled. This morning, do not worry. But cast all your cares upon the one who cares so very much for you. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. And Lord, if there's one listening to my voice who's never accepted you by faith, Lord, on this day, I pray that he or she will take you at your word, that you came to seek and to save them, to die on their cross, to be placed in their tomb, and on the third day, to give them life eternal. Lord, if there's someone listening to my voice who's never trusted you and turned from their sin, I pray that today, even as we sing the very first note, that individual will come down this aisle, take one of the ministers by the hand, and say, I surrender my life to this Savior. Lord, for those of us who are believers, and we know what it is to worry, we worry a lot because we have a lot to worry about. And some of us may even be in this house today, heavy-hearted, weighted down by worry. Lord, on this day, help us to cast all of our cares upon you. Lord, may your altar be full. May people come and kneel before you as a spiritual beggar. May you be honored and glorified in this very moment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.